Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is November the 23rd, and our chapter for today is Titus chapter 2. The Apostle Paul instructs Titus as to how he is to do things in the church of Jesus in Crete. This is a fascinating passage because there are some words here that are used only once or twice in the entire New Testament, and they are related to this book of Titus. Let's get right into it. Paul said, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound teaching. That is, Titus, you need to understand that the Word of God is the only thing that's going to give stability in your life and in the church. As a nation or a community or a family slides toward secularism, slides toward godliness and rebellion and doing their own thing, the only thing that gives stability in a nation, in a state, in a community, in a church, in a family, are the words of God in the Bible. This is so important. And so he says, now I want you to deal with the older folks first. Why? Because they're the leaders. Now, when he says the older men, that's the word presbyteros, but he's not talking about the official office of an elder. And we know that because when he talks about and likewise the women, he uses the same word only in feminine, that is the older women. This is established now down through the annals of church history that this deals with older men and older women. Now, when I say older men and older women, we have different definitions and age is relative, but the reality is we're talking about people who are 50 and above. That's the standard during this time period for a person who is older. He said that the older men need to be sober. That's not just having to do with alcohol. We are so limited in our definition of words because we associate soberness almost exclusively in America and especially in the South with liquor or drink or alcohol of some kind, more of late of drugs. That is not the extent of what this is talking about. The word sober means to be clear-headed, to not allow anything to control you. And that's not just alcohol and other kinds of drugs, but it has to do with keeping your head clear and being clear-minded, being clear-eyed, to be reverent. That is, that you're dignified. That's what that word means, is dignified. And as you get older, you've got to put away childish things. I see some men in their 50s and 60s and even 70s acting like kids. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have fun and act up, but there are just some things you need to grow out of. Sometimes we just get silly. Well, those kind of people don't need to be in leadership in the church, need to be temperate. They need to be self-controlled. They need to be sound in the faith. That means they need to be established, and they need to be men who have understood the love of God. 
And so he's saying to Titus, search out men like that. Seek out men like this, because some of these are going to be the elders, the leaders of the church, not just older men, but those who occupy the office of elder, which is reserved for those that meet certain qualifications. He said, you need to look for men who are loving who understand the agapao, I love, the agape, the unconditional love, as we call it. I want to remind you that agape love is a love that is based in the character and in the choice, the volition of one doing the loving, rather than in the attitudes or the actions of the one being loved. Now, this is the way that God loves us. He doesn't love us because of our attitudes or actions. He doesn't love us because of our choice. He loves us because of his choice and because of his character. That's why the same word is used in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated, God showed and expressed for all to see his agape toward us, his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, shaking our fist in the face of God, God loved us and died for us, even when we were in rebellion. And so these men who are older need to exhibit this, along with patience. Now, the word patience is the Greek word hupomone. Mone comes from a word which means to abide or remain. It's a common word in the Greek New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John. The word hupo means under, and so it means to bear up under something, to learn to endure, to have what we would call it stick-to-itiveness when things start getting difficult. Younger men have a tendency to quit. Younger men have a tendency to move on to something else. But those who are older, we know that there's not anything else to move on to. Sometimes you just got to work through something. You can't run away from it because if you try to run from it, it goes with you. It follows you. And that's why we have to deal with things. And so this is what he's talking about. And then he said, you talk with the older women as well. He said, they need to be reverent. Now, this is an interesting word. It's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. It's the word that is made up of the word which means down, kata, and histemi, to stand. It doesn't mean to stand down. It means that they are established. They are centered. These women need to be people who have settled down. They're not out running around. They're not looking for love in all the wrong places, all of that kind of stuff. They are established in the faith, and they're not harem, scarum, run here, run there, but in their behavior, they're very well established. Now, that's the kind of women that need to be teaching other women, and they don't need to be she-devils. They don't need to run their mouths. Listen, a woman who has to argue about everything and state her opinion about everything that she's, well, this is just the way I feel, and I feel like I need to, you know, well, then that's probably not the kind of person you want teaching other women. Why? Because the way you're taught is the way that you act many times, and we don't want that kind of attitude in the church. Why? Because it's unhealthy. He goes on to say, Paul said to Titus, not given to much wine, of course, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the younger women to love their husbands. Now, this is interesting because the word love here is not the word agape. Why? Because a woman is prone to being dedicated and committed to her husband. 
The husband is admonished to be committed and dedicated to his wife because it's not natural for him to do that, because he can cut a woman off immediately. And so he said, teach the young women to love their husband. And the word is philos, phileo, verb form, with andros, their husband. So the word philos is a word that finds its basis in pleasure. I traced it back as far as I could years ago, and in my research, I found out that it has its basis in pleasure. In other words, it is a love that says, I'll treat you well as long as you treat me well. I'll scratch your back as long as you scratch mine. But it came down to the concept of liking, of fondness. I like to hang out with you. I like to be with you. I like to talk to you. And that is a choice. That's something you learn to do. Love is a choice far more than a feeling because as in all things, our feelings and our emotions follow whatever is in our mind and our thoughts. So if we're going to feel different about someone, we have to think different about them. And so this is what he's saying. He's saying, Paul is saying to Titus, you need to teach these young women that they need to learn to love their husbands. They need to learn to like their husbands. You say, well, why would that be a command? Because it's not natural for them to do that. And men can be absolutely sickening. They can just be jerks and be rude and crude and all the things that go with that. But then he says, not only do you need to teach them to love their husbands, but you need to teach them to love their children. And it's the same word. You see, many times mothers get sick of kids and they don't want anything to do with them. And in our generation, many times it's almost like a convenience thing. Children are like uh, toys and fashion. It's fashionable to have a child. Somebody gets pregnant, everybody wants to get pregnant. But you see, rearing children's more than just being fashionable. It's a commitment of life. And mothers need to learn to love their children, to love to be around their children. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't need a break because you do. The reality is that the woman is the primary caregiver for the children. They are to love their children, to be discreet. I don't even have to go into what that is. I probably need to, but a chase, that means they need to be pure. They need to be homemakers. Now, this is fascinating because this is a word. It's a compound word that's made up of the word oikos, which is the word for house, and ergon, which is the word for work. They need to do housework. They need to learn to do housework. They need to be taught to do housework. I am amazed. I'm amazed. Now, I grew up doing housework. I grew up as a young boy doing what needs to be done. And my wife will tell you, I'm not saying this because I need to pat myself on the back. I'm too old for that kind of thing. But I want to tell you, I wash as many dishes as she does in our house and most of the time more. And she'll tell you that. I do as much or more housework than she does. I do most of the laundry because, you see, now I hear people complaining about doing laundry. It's separating clothes. It's putting them in a machine. You don't wash the clothes anymore. The washing machine does. You get them out, put them in a dryer, hang up what needs to be done. So, listen, the greatest thing that a woman or a man has to do now is just learn to separate colors, learn temperatures of water that need to be, learn to read tags, and then learn what goes into a dryer and what doesn't, what type of this is not rocket science, and the machine does the work for you. Here in the office where I am doing this podcast right now, 
I could go right around the corner and see an old wood cook stove, and you can come and see it as well. But right beside of it is a rub board that my grandmother was rubbing on, washing, doing the clothes the day that I surrendered to preach, April 2nd, 1975. It's either water that we caught off the roof that we caught in a 50-gallon barrel. If it didn't rain, then I went and got water from a spring in two two-gallon buckets, one in each hand. I filled up the water tank, and then we heated the stove. We heated the water, and we had a tub for wash. We had one for rinse, and then once a week, we would have one with Purex or Clorox bleach. So we had three tubs, and I filled those up, and my grandmother washed. Then we wrung out the clothes, as it was called, and then we hung them up on a line somewhere, usually a fence, because we would, with three boys, there was a lot of clothes to wash. Now, that's washing clothes, but we don't do that anymore. Now, I digress, but all I'm trying to say to you is that women and young girls need to be taught how to do housekeeping, how to be workers at home, how to cook, how to sew, how to do things around the house. You say, oh, this is so insulting. I cannot believe what a male chauvinist you are. I'm telling you what the Bible says. I don't care whether you like it. I don't care whether you think it's good or bad. Paul told Titus, tell the women, teach the women the older ones especially, to teach the younger ones to love their husband, love the children, be keepers at home, and teach them how to be a good manager of the home, a good housekeeper, a person who sees to her household. This is pleasing before God. And people say, well, you know, I just think women need to be out in the workforce. They need to be doing this, need to be doing that. Well, how's that working out for us? No, how's that working out for you? You don't even see one another. You don't cook supper anymore. You don't cook breakfast anymore. We don't do things together anymore. Why? Because we've gotten ourselves in such a mess that we can't live anymore unless two are working and then everything gets discombobulated. I know it's our culture. I'm just telling you what God says. And I'm not arguing with you about it. I'm just going to tell you the truth and then you can do with it what you wish. That's between you and God. And the next one even gives us more trouble. Teach them to be obedient to their own husbands. That means hupotasso. That's the word to get in your proper right. There is an order in the home, and when that home is out of order, it's disorder. And our homes today, even within our church, are not following the order laid out by the Word of God, where men are to be the spiritual leaders in the home, and if men would be the spiritual leaders in their home that they need to be, it would be much easier for the wife to be that submissive, loving, faithful wife that she needs to be if the men would lead out and love as Jesus loved the church. You see, all of this is God's order. It's God's design. You say, well, that's not the way America is. Exactly. And again, I say the proof's in the pudding. How's that working out for us? It's not working at all, and our nation is in disarray. And so it says that we need to do this, look at this, so that the Word of God be not blasphemed. It's important to God that we do this the right way. And then he said, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. One who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In other words, live your life so that if somebody was going to slander you, they'd be ashamed because... 
people would say, well, now that's not the way that person lives. And why is all of this so important? Because it is the grace of God. Yes, salvation is by grace, but what does grace do? For the grace of God, and then he says something about that grace that brings salvation, it's appeared to all men. But then let's get right to the after the comma. For the grace of God teaches us that, uh-oh, that's what verse 12 says. The grace of God, that grace that brings us salvation, what does it do? It teaches us. You see, grace teaches obedience. Grace teaches that denying ungodliness, world lust, that we're going to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And when we do, it enables us to look forward to that blessed expectation and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people that are zealous for good works. You see, the grace of God teaches us. What does it teach us? It teaches us godly, obedient living. Oh, wow. Now he says, verse 15, speak these things as a way of life. Exhort, encourage, rebuke when you have to with all authority. And don't let anybody look down on you for the way that you talk and the way you live. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.